0: Today's podcast is with Mark Everhart. Mark is currently on city council in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and is running for House of Delegates. Let's hear what Mark has to say. Have you heard of Bracken's painting? I started Bracken's painting back in 2011. We do both residential and commercial painting. We have contractor's licenses in West Virginia and Virginia, and we carry all the necessary insurances like workers' comp, general liability. Uh, We operate a small staff that focuses on meeting the homeowner's needs and project manager's timeline expectations. Uh, We we try to have exceptional attention to detail. If you're interested in doing any sort of commercial or residential painting, please contact Brackens Painting. More information can be found at www.brackenspainting.com. One of my friends from the Leadership West Virginia program, Rob Passmore, is this year's race director for the Poca River 15K. The Poco River 15K is West Virginia's oldest road race and this year it is held on May 2nd. Polka is just a few miles north of Charleston, West Virginia. This year's course is the same as the older course but because the new bridge has been built and they can run across the bridge and complete the loop. If you want to learn more about this 15K, which comes out to 9.3 miles, you can look it up POCA, P-O-C-A, River Run on Facebook.com or POCA River Run on RunSignUp.com. Have you heard of the Try This West Virginia conference? If you're somebody who is working to build a healthier West Virginia, then you should join the over 500 like-minded people this year at the seventh annual conference. Uh, It's in Buckhannon, West Virginia. This year it's on June 12th and June 13th. Go there to learn about grassroots efforts that are taking place from all around the state, from community gardens to yoga in schools, running and biking programs, and even maybe building a community recreation center. Once you've networked around the conference, there's also opportunities to learn how to apply for grant funding for a project in your own community. Enjoy two days of healthy food, physical activity, and mindful living. Register before March 15th for early bird rates at trythiswv.com slash conference. All right, Mark, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Right. So tell me about yourself. Who is Mark Everhart?
1: Well, uh, we'll start with my name. I'm, I'm Mark Everhart, and I'm uh, running for West Virginia House of Delegates in the 67th District. Um, I grew up in Loudoun County in Leesburg, Virginia. I actually, grew up in a little town right outside of Leesburg called Luckett's, Virginia. Um, went to the University of Alabama, studied anthropology, uh, which I have done nothing with uh, since uh, since school. Um, came out of uh, college and became a freelance computer programmer. Uh, so, um, since wait, two- anthropology to freelance. I computer? know it's weird. Uh, I, look, I was a huge dork when I was in school as a kid. I, you know, computers, I still am, but, uh, you know, I was a self-taught computer programmer. I was the kid that, you know, in my room teaching myself how to code basic on, you know, on an old IBM and playing a bunch of video games. And, and so I got out, of, got out of school, I was like, man, anthropology was not, you know, that might have been a mistake.
0: So, well, so did you go to Alabama because the
1: program was good? The, the program, yeah, they have a, a, a good program, and, and I, I, cool. honestly, I went down to that school, and it's, it's, if you've never been to a, a huge university, like, it's an experience, and especially Alabama when you've got, uh, you know, the football legacy there. Right. Uh, I tell this story. I, I was there a freshman, first week as a freshman, and they had this freshman barbecue in the indoor practice uh, field for Crimson Tide, and um, we were, you know, my buddies that I had just met, and we were sitting there in the in the back, kind of in the back of the room, and we hear this this wall of, of like girls just screaming, like you know, a rock star had entered the the building, and, and we're like, well, you know, what's going on? And it was the coach. It was the football coach. It wasn't even a player. It was the coach, and it was like, you know, you you you've seen video or or of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show with the girls. I mean, that's what it was like. And that's when it it hits home like, wow, it's a little different down here. But I had, uh, you know, I went down, I toured the school. I really liked it a lot. Um, And so I decided to go there. Uh, But realized that maybe anthropology, digging in the dirt, wasn't what I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my life. When I was in high school, I worked on a lot of local archaeological digs and really liked it. Um, but I think I liked it because it was something that I wanted to do, not something that I had to do. And so when you, when you're faced with, I'm going to be doing this for the next 40 years of my life, or longer, I was like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe not for me. So self-taught computer programmer, self-taught computer geek, um, and came came back home, uh, worked at um, some some small companies around Leesburg as the IT guy, and and then I ended up. Um, working for a software company that made software for language translation companies. Um learned all about the language translation business there, went to work for a bunch of different language translation companies around the DC area, and I realized that the language translation industry is built on freelance work. No, no language translation company has full-time translators for every language they translate into, and I thought, well, wait a minute. If they're doing that for the translators, why why wouldn't they do that for their engineering staff? Why couldn't you do that for your engineering staff? You've got really small and mid-sized companies that can't compete bidding on projects with large companies because they don't have that engineering staff in-house. So what if I offer those services freelance to those small and mid-sized companies? And they can hire me when they need to bid on a project. We'll, we'll bid on the project together, and we'll, we'll complete it and move on. So in 2003, that's what I did, uh, and I've been doing that ever since, and it's, it's filled a niche, and it's, it's worked well for me. Um, and one of the great things about it is that it's, it's given me free time to um, get into politics with, and, and become involved in my community. Uh, so I'm currently a council member in Shepherdstown, I've been elected twice there, uh, and uh, I I'm, I'm, will be ending my second term in uh, June um, because I'm going to be running for the House of Delegates. But the nice thing about what I do in, in working from home is that I can go and I can spend time every day at town hall dealing with issues in the community, and not everyone uh, that's elected is afforded that opportunity.
0: Yeah, that, that's a, mm-hmm. a real benefit. So tell me more about city council you know what what's it like where you serve? sure
1: well uh, I was first elected in 2016 um, and uh, what I realized very quickly that first of all I realized once I was elected that I didn't know anything and what I thought council people did versus what they really did are two totally different things and uh, so when I filed my certificate of announcement to run for Shepherdstown Council uh, the first thing I did was I decided I'm going to go to every meeting I can uh, and learn as much as I I possibly can. So I went to literally every single town meeting uh, until I was sworn into office. Uh, You mean just the
0: city council meetings? City council
1: meetings. So I I would go to city council meetings. I went to water board meetings. I went to public works meetings. I went to police committee meetings. I went to we have a tree committee in Shepherdstown. I went to those meetings. I mean every meeting uh, that the government had, I went and I attended. And that was when you were running, or that you, was when you... I was running. Wow, that was before all before I came into office. And so, and I just took notes and I just watched. You know, I was the guy in the audience at every one of those meetings. I didn't need to say anything. I mean, everyone knew who I was and they knew why I was there. And I was just taking notes and learning as much as I could. And what I what I realized is that there are two two types of people that get elected in small town government. Here's the. the the council person that gets elected and they just go to the meetings um, and they they vote and they give their opinion and they go home and do whatever else they do and then there are the the ones that actually work uh, and they do the jobs they're the ones that are uh, they're filling out forms for grants you know they're talking to their neighbors helping them solve problems they're they're the ones that that everyone goes to when they have a problem and I decided that's who I want it to be Um, and so that's what I've done Um, as I said earlier, every day, Monday through Friday, um, I go up to town hall and spend about an hour up there. And some days it's it's just, you know, I'm, I'm working on something. Some days I'm just shooting the bull with the mayor um, and, and the staff. But that's how you, you, you learn about what's going on in the community. And you talk about solutions to problems that then we can later deal with um, in meetings. Um, and... Um, you know, I it was lucky enough that in my first year or my first term in council, uh, I was on the public works committee and the water board. So you learn about, you know, the water and sewer and, and that's a very complex issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's one of the, the most important things that a, a municipality can provide is, is water and sewer for its its, its residents. And, and public works deals with everything from trash pickup to sidewalks. It, it's pretty wide ranging. And um, uh, my second term, um, we had some, some veteran council members leave and there were some positions open and, and so the mayor said, you know, how about you come off of water and sewer, we'll put someone else there, but I need you on finance and police uh, as well as uh, planning commission. So I said, sure, and because I had attended all of these meetings and I still did that even after I was elected, I still tried to go to as many meetings as possible. Um, just to keep up with what was going on, I could step into those roles, and I knew exactly what was happening. Uh, so there was no there was no ramp up or education period.
0: Uh, that seems ideal because mm-hmm. that's a um, you're getting you're actually getting a network of intelligence to you, mm-hmm. so you can make decisions, and you can know where the uh, the bumps in the
1: road are ahead of right. time. Right, you make you, that way you can make informed decisions. Um, and so I, you know, in my focus, so the, a couple of things that I've done as a council person. Um, I helped co-found two, two committees that are kind of interrelated in Shepherdstown. The first is the Accessibility Committee, uh, which helps. Uh, our goal is to make uh, Shepherdstown uh, friendlier to people with physical disabilities. Sure. Uh, it's a historic town. It's, it's arguably the oldest town in West Virginia. Uh, we have some, some pretty uh, special uh, issues in that town dealing with accessibility you can't you can't just put an elevator in a historic building uh, You know our sidewalks are old they're bumpy um, so um, We started looking at you know how how we can make um, The town more accessible to people and, and really what we ended up doing is just educating businesses on How they can the little things and we're not talking about huge changes, but little changes they can make to make their stores and their businesses more welcoming to people with, with physical disabilities. You know, making the the aisles a little wider, you know, putting if, if you don't, if, if, if your front entrance isn't accessible but your back entrance is, making sure you have a little sign up on the front door, you know, hey, uh, you know, knock on the door, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, we can help you. Um, So I I founded that committee, and and out of that, uh, through uh, some very interested citizens, uh, we applied for um, AARP, and the World Health Organization has uh, this program called um, Age-Friendly Cities. Um, And so we we applied for that. We're the second city in West Virginia to get that designation, Charleston being the the other one. That's awesome. Um, And so I am helped. Uh, found that and I'm on the steering committee for that and what we do Well,
0: hold on a second so just so we don't glaze over this Mm -hmm. how long did it take to get the accessibility committee up and running and then get approved to have it to start making changes well
1: I'll I'll tell you so the the nice thing about small town government is things can happen very quickly so you you know there are some concerned citizens came to a council meeting uh, with some issues uh, about accessibility and and I said to the mayor and I talked at that council meeting and said, you know, maybe we need to kind of an informal committee. Uh, and I said, I'll, I'm happy to, to help with that. And so we, I think we had the, the first meeting the next week, um, you know, it was an informal committee. It, it's not a, an official committee of the town council, but it reports back occasionally to the town council. And, and from there, um, with the Age-Friendly Cities Initiative, that was really. It took about a year to get that all up and running. There's an application process and, and a review process, and um, you know we had some, some pretty involved residents there that helped with that. Um, but it, you know, it, to me, it's it's very special that we're the second city in West Virginia to get that designation. That's that's to me, that's great.
0: That's absolutely um, awesome. I mean, yeah. considering,
1: I mean, the capital is got the infrastructure to exactly. shift and, it and, and change we're a, it. You know, we're a, a town of you know, 1,700 people. Uh, A historic town of 1700 people so uh, with that designation what what we do is is we make we work to make our town more accessible to people of all ages Um, not when you think about AARP you think about the elderly but it's not that it's it's making the town accessible to all ages and and that's that's everything from accessibility issues to improving our parks to improving information about the town so that's what that committee works on and so those have been two pet projects of mine uh, as a council member well, it's, uh, it's
0: nice to hear success mm-hmm. stories versus exactly. challenges red tape mm-hmm. and bureaucracy that's that's really right. great mark
1: um, and and then the other thing that I'm very proud of as a council member is is we've uh, made great strides in in um, recycling and, and waste disposal which doesn't sound all that exciting but uh, I believe we are the only town in, West, in, in uh, Jefferson County that still offers glass recycling right um, and you know we had contracted with Apple Valley Waste for that they ended the program as, as readers as listeners here in um, Jefferson County uh, would would know and our residents said, look, we, we want to be able to recycle glass. So I worked with the town recorder, uh, and we, we found a solution to that. We, we applied for a grant through the West Virginia Department of uh, Environmental Protection. Um, and we're able to get that up and running for the town again. And, and since then, um, I've applied for and been given uh, several different uh, recycling and, and litter control related grants, which is that's another kind of pet project of mine, um, you drive through Jefferson County and you see litter all over the roads. Right. It's disgusting. Uh, so we're uh, in the process of starting a uh, litter control program in Shepherdstown that will also um, branch out to the surrounding areas. Great. Um, and then we're going to start offering uh, recyc- uh, electronics recycling, which is something that's not offered uh, a lot in Jefferson County. And that's another program I've been working on, and we'll unveil that uh, around Earth Day uh, for residents of of Shepherdstown.
0: Mark, that's those are yeah. all really positive, mm-hmm. great things you're working yeah. on. But let's talk about this. Um, you're running for office again.
1: I am. I'm I'm running for House of Delegates. So I, I spent four years on the Shepherd. Well, I'm in my fourth year on the Shepherdstown Town Council, and and I really I saw an opening where you know the, the good work that I've been doing on the council I wanted to be able to continue that in a, a larger setting uh, so um, the House of Delegates was the lo- next logical step and, and it's kind of funny I, if you would have asked me a year ago um, do you see yourself running for House of Delegates I would have said no uh, but um, about this time last year I got a phone call from Riley Moore who was our uh, previous um, representative of the House of Delegates, and and he had uh, lost to John Doyle, who now holds the seat. And so Riley called me up, and he said, "Mark, you gotta you gotta think about running." And I said, "No, I you know I'm I'm happy here in Shepherdstown." And he's like, "No, you, you really like you can do it. You 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 need to think about this." Um, and so I dismissed it, and uh, he kept calling. You know every. You know, like every couple of weeks, I get a phone call or a, or a um, message, a text message or a Facebook message from Miley. Thinking about running, you you really got to think about it, and I, I really started to think about it, and I and um, and then I went back and I looked at you know some of the votes that um, John had, you know, some of the ways he had voted uh, in the previous legislative session, and and I realized that we didn't really have the strong representation that I thought we needed here in the 67th district we're we're the farthest district literally from the capital in the whole state of west virginia right uh i hear a lot that jefferson county is forgotten in charleston and and so it takes a strong voice um down there and 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 riley would have been the the majority leader um had he won re-election and unfortunately he didn't and and so as i said he reached out to me and i really started to think about not not only what i needed to win but you know what what i wanted out of a delegate and and i thought about what i had been doing on the town council and i s- said to myself you know look i could i could do this same type of thing but for the entire state um so i i decided to run and and i uh made my announcement officially in july of last year and i have been you know uh, 120% since then. Uh, you know, my goal, uh, my job, um, other than the town council and, and, you know, making a living is, is to get elected. And, and between now and, and election time in, in November, that is my number one goal and my number one job. And I work hard every day uh, to get my message out and, and to look at the problems that we have in West Virginia and in this district and, and think about how we can solve them. Um, so that's that's sort of how I, I got to thinking about, you know, can I, can I do something? Can I actually make positive changes down in Charleston? And I think I can. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I've never taken on a challenge this large. Uh, you know, running in a small-town election is, is it's a completely different animal. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to fundraise and in, in, uh, when you're running for town council, you know, but obviously winning a, a, a delegate district takes money. And I can't self-finance, so I've had to go out and fundraise, which is uh, both the most interesting and uh, most nerve-wracking part of the process. Um, and, you know, you, you go out and you meet people and you find out what issues are important to them. So that's what I've been doing.
0: That's good. The You really knocked it out of the park on that. That answer because I had all kinds of little follow up questions I wanted to ask. Um, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really great background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how you you mentioned that you were encouraged to run. Mm-hmm. People believe in you before mm-hmm. you even believe in yourself. Right. And then um, digging back to your city council roots, the mm-hmm. fact that you, you participated in so many meetings, you did mm-hmm. so much research. Mm-hmm. That's those are all really great mm-hmm. primers for mm-hmm. for doing this. Um, let's talk about your platform a little bit. What uh what's your platform?
1: Well, uh, my platform, and I, I put simply, is we need to move West Virginia forward. Um, you know, West Virginia is a state with uh, an out-of-control opioid uh, problem. We have one of the lowest workforce participation rates in the nation. Um, we have uh, an education system that's that's not great. Uh, despite Hold on, let's back
0: up a second. You okay. said workforce participation. Does that mean there's not as many people working in our state as other right. states. right
1: that that means that there's not as many that not only is it the unemployment rate uh, is is relatively high compared to other states but um, the number of people in the workforce is lower uh, for one for one reason or another and I mean, there are a lot of factors in that part of it is the opioid epidemic uh, part of it is other health issues uh, education issues um, and then people who are you know undereducated or or just don't have opportunities. Okay, um, I just wanted to make sure I understood mm-hmm, yeah. the, uh, what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so moving West Virginia forward. Yeah. So we, you know, the, those are some there's some real problems that we have to tackle. And and I don't look, I don't want to use this podcast to to trash my opponent. That's not what I'm I'm here for. But I I do feel that it's worth mentioning that, you know, we we've had these issues in West Virginia for this is not something new. We've had them for several years. And, you know, when I look at my opponent's bills that he's introduced, the the two bill, the two biggest bills he's introduced for the past two years have been a bill to ban plastic bags and um, limit residents' Second Amendment rights. So these are not bills that are moving West Virginia forward. These are not bills that will um, help the average West Virginian when we've got you know, opioid issues, we've got employment issues, we've got education issues. So you know, I think the people of this district, which uh, I guess I should explain that the 67th district encompasses um, Shepherdstown, um, Bakerton, Bolivar, and Harpers Ferry. Um, it's it's that edge of Jefferson County. It kind of it starts in Shepherdstown, uh, goes to the Berkeley County line, and then follows two thirty, um, kind of up into Bakerton, um, and then out three forty uh, into Bolivar and Harpers Ferry to uh, the Virginia line uh, by Harpers Ferry. Uh, so it's a it's a very long district. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about thirteen thousand residents and about nine thousand homes. Um, that's who I'm hoping to represent. And it's a very politically diverse district there's, you know, and in, in Shepherdstown tends to lean to the left. Um, the area up near Harpers Ferry that we call the mountain uh, tends to lean very far to the right. So it's a very purple district. So you cannot win this district by being super partisan one way or the other.
0: Sure, that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I sidetracked you when yeah. you talk about your platform and yeah. I apologize. Yep, I'm very okay. I'm
0: famous for just jumping no, in and no because problem. I want to know stuff. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: economically how's your platform you know small business absolutely so I mean the backbone of of West Virginia's economy is is small business Um, and we we need to make it easier to start small businesses we need to make it easier for sole proprietors entrepreneurs to start making a living in West Virginia one of the ways we can do that if you if you look at West Virginia compared to let's say Ohio Pennsylvania Kentucky we have much higher licensure fees, licensing fees, for professions in West Virginia than those surrounding states. And I'm not talking a few dollars. Uh, I think, and in, 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 if I remember the, the figures correctly, if you look at the average licensing fee in Pennsylvania, I believe, is $60. The average licensing fee in West Virginia is 170 Mm-hmm. So there's a, it's a considerably uh, amount more, and there you know there are hundreds of professions, everything from uh, general contracting to barber to apprentice mortician in West Virginia. So if you're if you're learning to be a mortician, if you're learning to be an auctioneer, you have to have a special license. This is something that the state of West Virginia nickel and dimes you um, while you're learning your profession. Um,
0: I even, when I, I mean, I have a painting mm -hmm. license in West Virginia, and Mm -hmm. recently I saw there's a painting estimator license. probably So if if I hired somebody Mm -hmm. to go out and do just Mm -hmm. quotes, or I could sub it out to have somebody go out and just do quotes, that person has to be licensed. All they're doing is taking measurements. Yep. So it's, you know, as a small business owner, just from my point of view, if I'm gonna overcome, I just put my head down and run towards that right. wall, I run towards the obstacle to overcome it. Mm-hmm. But it's good to hear, it's good to learn that there are people who are looking at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not something I would complain about. I wouldn't complain about the licensing fees because to me, it's just a part of doing business. But if I knew there was a way that it could be better, mm-hmm. that's that's what I want to hear about, Mark. That's well, awesome.
1: Look, if you know, in in. People like you and I—we're—we're we're not necessarily. I mean, we're—we're we're in the financial position where that type of licensing fee may not may not affect us as much. But if you're just getting started, and a lot of these professions that that we license in West Virginia are considered low wage professions, so you know you're asking someone to pay four or five hundred dollars a year uh, in licensing and continuing education for a profession that may only the the, the average salary. Per year may only be $22,000 a year I mean that's a huge hit I mean that's that's rent that's groceries for a month you know that that's something that we can we do not as a state we do not need to be nickel and diming our residents to death not when we're losing population and again you know we we have in in Jefferson County and in the Eastern Panhandle you know we we have uh, kind of a different view of things because we are relatively economically successful up here yes that we have opportunities that other parts of the state don't we're growing in population in Jefferson and Berkeley County the rest of the state uh, aside from the Charleston area is decreasing in population and we absolutely have to figure out how we can get people to stay in West Virginia and one of those ways is making it easier to earn a living here so you know you, you can start with small things like lowering these licensing fees, they have a big benefit year over year over year, especially for professions like painting. That mm-hmm. there's pro, you know, the painting estimator. There's probably some uh, along with licensing, and I, I don't know this for sure, but there's probably some sort of continuing education requirement for that, or education requirement for that. Well, that for it, the for the painter one, there was a significant yeah, test, that right? Significant. So. You know, if, if you can, if you can lower that barrier of entry, and you get more people back to work. Um, the other thing, and this is, this is really a, an eastern panhandle issue, and, uh, but it affects the northern panhandle as well, is we have to figure out how we can compete to, to keep good teachers. You know, it's hard. Uh, you know, I know a lot of teachers that live in Jefferson County that teach in Washington County, Maryland, or Loudoun County, Virginia. And they would love to teach in Jefferson County, but we don't pay them. We can't compete with the salary they're going to earn by driving a half an hour, um, you know, one in one direction. And it's the same with service personnel. It's the same with our our state troopers. You know, we, you know, if if you're a West Virginia state trooper, there is very little incentive to to come to the Eastern Panhandle because you're getting paid the same as someone who may live in Mineral County um, you know or may live down near Princeton, West Virginia, which you can obviously buy a house and live for much less money than in Jefferson County. So one of the things that I am a real proponent of and and will enter hopefully if if, if I'm elected will introduce a bill to address is locality pay. We West Virginia needs locality pay for it's teachers, service personnel, and, and workers, to, so that areas of the state that have to compete with other states directly are able to do so, um, so that we can keep good teachers, uh, we can keep good police, we can keep good personnel working for the state. Um, and look, i you know, and the biggest argument against that is, well, shouldn't someone in Mineral County be paid the same as someone in Jefferson County? Yes, absolutely in a perfect world, they should, but we need to we need to tackle issues right now and and improve the economy of West Virginia, and hopefully, you know, in five or six years, that locality pay is is that same pay scale is everywhere in the state.
0: It kind um, of spiders out, yeah, it does because. If the Eastern Panhandle had a higher pay rate for teachers, then Mm -hmm. they would migrate from the counties next to the Panhandle. Right. And then if they got better pay rates, it just slowly spreads across. It slowly
1: spreads across. And as, you know, and then our population grows, you know, know, it it, it amazes me that we in West Virginia, we have a very high uh, high school graduation rate. But a lot of our high school students... That go into our state colleges here in West Virginia have to take remedial classes to bring them up to speed. So, I mean, there are obvi- there are obviously education issues, and some of those need to be addressed on the county level. Some of them need to be addressed on the state level. I, I certainly don't have all of the answers, right. but that's something that we we have to continue to address um, as West Virginians, not only as elected officials, but as West Virginians. We have to get parents involved. We have to address. The the education issues in our state so that we can turn out people that are competitive in the workforce, and then we have to give them incentives to stay in West Virginia once they've graduated. Well, I feel like education is a significant rabbit hole. Yes. There's so
0: yeah, many pieces to talk about.
1: Do a whole podcast on just that. Right. And, and, I, and I'm did, not an expert. Right. Like five means, or so. six podcasts. Yeah. I
0: mean, for, and again, this is the break it down for brackets mm-hmm. podcast. Like, mm-hmm. If we're going to talk about a topic, we've got to really break it down mm-hmm. for somebody who like, I genuinely want to know, right? So I feel like it's it's really really hard to know, mm-hmm. and and I'm and happy that when people are in the House of Delegates, they can get on committees and teams, mm-hmm. and they can really grind down and see where they are on budgets and what the potential is for the state. But I mean that's a it's a real serious task, mm-hmm. and education is 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 just a hotbed. Uh, let's move on to another topic, though, mm-hmm. broadband. Yes. Explain your well, thoughts on
1: that. So, uh, you know, West Virginia has poor broadband coverage. We do. That, that, that's a known problem in West Virginia. Um, and it, particularly here in the eastern panhandle, we are situated next to Loudoun County, Fairfax County, Montgomery County. Um, they're all huge tech centers um and we need to be able to leverage that there you know you have tech companies that would absolutely look at jefferson county or berkeley county and and move here Be, you know tech companies that don't necessarily want to pay the high rent or the high cost of operating in a jefferson or in a loudon county would absolutely look at jefferson county if we had the broadband backbone to um, to support them and and one of the issues that we face right now is there there seems to be this this idea that we need to recruit these companies so that we can build this broadband well that, that to me that's not how it works um, to me it's it's like the movie uh, field of dreams if you build it they will come so what we have to do and and this is you know the state can help with this but this is going to be a, a state and county initiative, and federal in some cases, for federal grant money, and uh, Senator Capito has done a really good job of getting grant money for, for other parts of the state uh, for broadband expansion. But we have to work on expanding our broadband, particularly here in Jefferson County, so that companies that are looking at Loudoun County, looking at Montgomery County, will will look at us and say, well, wait a minute, we can, you know, we can move half an hour you know, a little further away, half an hour further away, our employees can live uh, a little bit less expensively, and our rent and our cost of doing business is going to be less expensive, but we still have the same broadband capability. I mean, you know when you're talking about data centers, I mean there are some data center contracts um, stipulate that that they are their uh, the the people they provide their services for um, get paid ten thousand dollars every every second they're out of uh offline so we have to have very good broadband here and if we can build that and if we can get that those people those companies will come um, and that's the type of good business we want to bring to to jefferson county and, and once again just like we were talking before it's like a spider web you you start here and then suddenly it's you, you get those companies here and suddenly it's easier to go into morgan county with that broadband and and it just spreads outward um but we are in a very unique position here in jefferson county and, and in the eastern panhandle uh that we have the economic stability to to do that
0: that is another podcast mm-hmm. i do need to learn yeah. more about broadband like in my mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. the questions i have are
1: uh-huh.
0: why doesn't a company see an opportunity just to do that you mm-hmm. know who's in loudon county right, right next door why don't they just Cross the river, right? Cross the
1: mountain, it, it money. I mean, that I mean, it comes a lot of it comes down to money and investment and 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 building that I mean, you know, running the physical lines. And it's just getting those people to do that. And 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 it may be, you know, it's something that the state and the county may need to work together on to bring those in and and lease those lines to a, a service provider and, and get things up and running, okay. Um medical cannabis. Thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely support it. Uh, 100%. Um, it, we, we, we need that. There are, there are people in the state that are suffering, and uh, have cancer, have chronic conditions that we uh, absolutely need to provide this for our populace. Um, we have a medical cannabis law. Uh, it was passed, I believe, in 2017. Um, things are, are just now getting off the ground. Uh, There was a a bill, I think it was uh, Senate Bill 572, if I'm remembering correctly, that was voted on two days ago. Uh, We're doing this podcast on a Monday, so it it was on a Saturday session of the legislature um, that funded the Office of Medical Cannabis uh, by almost a million dollars. That would be basic operating costs for that office. Um, My opponent voted against that bill, um, which is questionable, um, but... Um, you know we 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 have several companies in Jefferson County that are looking to uh, start growing medical cannabis processing it and dispensing it uh, that's a county level issue but I know that there are several uh, there's a limited number of permits for each of those in the state um, and there are specific rules that have to be followed uh, for those companies with location They can't be near a school and can't be uh, you know uh, if you're a dispensary, you have to be able to have a garage that you can pull your delivery trucks into to unload. Uh, so there are, there are um, issues with that. But I, I believe that uh, a company is looking in Charlestown uh, to build a dispensary, and, and, and so it's coming. It's mm-hmm. a slow process. Um, I think we need to expand that law a little bit. There, there were some things that um, when the law was first passed that, that to me were left out that were kind of no-brainers. Uh, the law didn't allow for edibles or uh, inhaled medical cannabis um, and I think we need to take another look at that law uh, to allow for those because to me if if you're sick one of the easiest ways to 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 get the the, the cannabis that you need would be uh, through edibles uh, or, or uh, vaporized um, it, I also think that we need to look at uh, lowering the the startup costs for these businesses um, they're they're very high uh, for a grow operation if you're going to grow medical cannabis you have to have uh, two million dollars in escrow um, in, a, in an account um, to qualify for the permit and that to me is uh, that is that to make it so people can't do it well I, I can't answer that what it what it tells me is that it? It locks out a lot of small businesses in in West Virginia. Absolutely. And and that's those are the types of people that we want involved here. Uh, so I you know that that barrier of entry, like a lot of business related fees in West Virginia, needs to be lowered, and it needs to be looked at. Now I I, I think the I, I think the initial idea behind that that um, escrow and the and the high cost of the permit was to make sure that you could that you weren't a fly-by-night operation that was going to get this permit and, and not be able to maintain your business. I see. But it does that, you know, there, there's, a, there's a balancing act there that, you know, I, I understand the need to make it high and to have that assurance that you're going to stay in business, but at the same time, how many small businesses can, can get, you know, $2 million? And just to sit in the bank account, uh, you know, and and do nothing just to ensure that they're able to operate. So, uh, you know, that's but but look, we we have a program and it's moving forward. And once it gets up and running and once people see that it's it's not going to, um, you know, negatively affect the state, I think we can, you know, in the next couple of years, I think we can look at changing those rules and making it easier for people uh, to 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 start. Um, their own business related to medical cannabis and maybe you know maybe we'll get to the point where where people uh, with you know certain conditions are allowed to grow their own Uh, you know which uh, look I'm I'm not sold on that idea I'll be 100 percent honest with you but it's something that we can look at down the road
0: that's another podcast mark (laughs) I mean that's I'm giving
1: you lots of good ideas yeah definitely
0: I appreciate that all right a couple questions here Mm -hmm. it's almost like interview questions Mm -hmm now the first one I want to ask you is um when you need advice mm-hmm. who do you turn to you know who who bends your ear or who do you whose ear do you bend when you mm-hmm. want advice on a
1: topic mm-hmm. well I mean there so there's there's a couple of answers to that question so um, the first one is the the general public uh, I love hearing from people um, I, you know I, I had a an issue the other day I, I had uh, made a Facebook post there was a a um, uh, bill that was making its way through the House of delegates to change the way car inspections are done in West Virginia make them every two years um, instead of every year and I um, you know I, I posted about it and, and a friend of mine who is a uh, owns a, an auto shop uh, he messaged me right away and he's like you know we need to talk about this because you you're not getting the full picture you know you're looking at it from the let's reduce the fee for the average citizen Uh, perspective but uh, you know there are a lot of auto shops that they're in business because of uh, the, the inspection business that they get and they have employees that only do inspections that if if this went to every two years they would have to get rid of those employees and and I said to him I said you know I really hadn't thought about that I hadn't thought about the ramifications on small business owners and you know kind of the downstream i was only looking at you know let's let's how can we save west virginians money um and i hadn't looked at the negative aspect of that which was you know maybe you know this is going to put some people out of work um so you know that I, I really enjoy talking to people um the other thing that i have is uh, being in small town government for for four years um you know i i kind of uh, I have experience with, with dealing with people, and uh, quite honestly, I, I, the mayor of Shepherdstown, Jim Oxer, I go to him a, a lot for advice. Uh, you know, I, he's, he's a great guy, and, and I will, you know, just kind of go into his office and, you know, bounce ideas off of him, and uh, particularly um, ideas related to, to crime and, and criminal justice because he has a, a prison back, he has a, a background working in prisons. Um, and, and he's been in office for so long that he gives me a different perspective that I wouldn't necessarily have uh, but but the, the biggest way that you know the, what what I want people to take away from this is don't be afraid to come talk to me um, you know I'm approachable I think all of your elected officials are approachable um, you know you talk about uh, and this may be one of your next questions I may be stealing this from you but you talk of people talk about how can I, how can I get people to listen to me, and how can I change people's minds? And um, a buddy of mine, his name's uh, Chuck Horst. He's running for delegate in Berkeley County, and I can't remember the, the districts. There, it's kind of like a black hole over there with the sure. districts. I don't remember the district numbers, but he he's involved with the West Virginia Citizens Defense League, and he tells this story about how you know. Okay. Several years ago, before he got involved with that, that's a pro-Second Amendment organization, he thought that his opinion didn't matter at all. And he, he got involved with uh, that organization, and he started going to their lobby days down in Charleston. And he met a Describe lot of- what the uh, lobby day is. Yeah, so, that's, so for the defense, Citizens' Defense League and a lot of other organizations, they'll have lobby days in Charleston. And that's when members of whatever organization will all show up at the Capitol— on a single day, and just they'll go talk to all of their the legislatures, and and you know, and and it it's basically that you show up in numbers, and and your elected officials get to see how many people are really really care about um, an issue. Mm-hmm. And for let's say the the West Virginia Citizens Defense League, they all wear you know black T-shirts with the the the, the, the WVCDL logo, and you look up in the in the gallery at the, the House and the Senate and you see it uh, you know full of black t-shirts I mean you know that they're there and they're paying attention to what's going on it's a and its um, first of all um, anyone who can should go to Charleston when the legislature's in session and just go to the Capitol and and watch a session go and meet people I agree um, it's, it's amazing but what my my buddy Chuck the story he told was that he you know he thought that no one cared what his opinion was and he he started talking to his elected officials and then he would he would see them at meetings up here uh, you know in Berkeley County or Jefferson County and he got to know them and suddenly you know you get to know these people and we're you know regular people Um, and you realize that just a one-on-one conversation with someone can change someone's mind Um, and that's I mean that's the most important thing is you know if, if you are you don't have to be politically active. You don't have to go protest with a sign. You don't have to sign a petition. You don't have to, you know, do all of these grand gestures. You can just, just talk to, you know, talk to your elected officials and tell them what you think in a, you know, respectful manner. Uh, and you know, if you sit down and this has happened, you know, for the past four years as a town councilman, I, have done this and I plan to do it, uh, you know, in the legislature, you just sit down and talk with people. And find out what really matters to them and find out their opinions on things. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm.
0: Another good question here. You know, projected revenues and how the state mm-hmm. makes its money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If your committee or whatever you end up on, mm-hmm. what would be a, a dream project if you found $10 million in surplus that you were able to spend? How would you spend that in the state? Okay,
1: that's tough. I mean, it's a tough question there I have a couple of ideas first of all going back to broadband expansion you 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 bring better broadband to West Virginia because I think that jump starts a lot I think you can use that money uh, that will get businesses here that are not that aren't currently looking at West Virginia and I think that could be a jumping-off point that ten million dollar investment could be a jumping-off point for much greater investments Um, you talk to other people and the only thing that they, you know, you, the biggest issue is the roads. We have got to fix the roads in West Virginia. So, you know, you, you, you put some of that money towards fixing some of the secondary roads in West Virginia, not not 81, not the highways, but some of the secondary roads. But I, to me, the best use of that money is in something like broadband, just bringing a line someplace, getting access so that uh, we can jumpstart start. A, a business and and start to grow it and you know you you know you you plant that seed right and then it just grows well, I, let, let,
0: let's change it up then what okay. if we did um two million dollars in your district huh. i'm not trying to put you on the on the on the hot seat but i'm like what, what would you do what would be what would be a passion project
1: for your district or even just shepherdstown well i mean, I mean in shepherdstown uh, quite frankly, it, it's going to be roads, it's going to be sidewalks, it's going to be improving accessibility to the town. Um, that's obviously something I'm passionate about. Um, and it, as a historic town, that's something that needs to happen. And, and uh, doesn't all, you know, we don't always have the money to do that as a town. Uh, so that, that's the easiest answer. If You give me $2 million, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pave a lot of our, our side streets. I'm going to fix a lot of sidewalks. Uh, I'm going to build a lot of ramps uh, where I can. Um, you know, you you bring it out to the district. It, we're again back to you know, two million dollars may not build a it may not bring in a broadband project. But then sure. then I'm I'm investing in schools. Uh, you know, I'm making sure that uh, student that some of our schools that that have. Issues, you know, we occasionally you'll hear about the schools that you know have HVAC issues or whatever. I'm taking care of that so our children can learn in a in a friendly, stable environment. Um, you know, at the state level, two million dollars is not a ton of money, no. but there I'm I'm funding programs to help you know, the disabled uh, children um, and 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 you know are less fortunate.
0: Okay. All uh, right, oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Well, this. I- the break it down. For, break it down for Bracken's podcast is was traditionally set up to be a small business mm-hmm. um, conversation, and mm-hmm. I know we've touched on that a little bit. Can you uh, think of one or two small businesses that you would want to give a shout out to or describe, like why you why you're proud of them being in your district or in your your town?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, that, look, that's a dangerous question, sure, <laughs> uh, because you know if I if I name a business, then I'm going to have another business owner saying, "Why why didn't you name me?" Look. All of our small towns, all of our, you know, and this is Harper's Ferry, Shepherdstown, Charlestown, Ransom. They all have a lot of great small businesses. And, and you know, it's very easy, and I do this, admittedly. It's very easy to go on Amazon and, and hit a button and order something, but it's better. If, if you can do that, take five minutes to go down to your local store. It doesn't matter what it is. It, if it's a restaurant or a, a little pharmacy or a little, you know, whatever it is, just buy something from a small business. It, it, I, I'm, I don't need to name a small business. Just okay. any small business, help them out. They're your neighbors. They're your friends. They're the people who are going to be investing in your community. Um, when it, you know, They're the people that sponsor your, your Christmas in Shepherdstown, your Christmas in Charlestown, mm-hmm. uh, Christmas in Harper's Ferry. They're absolutely, those are the people... That are on the front lines, making your communities better. So, in Bracken's painting, oh. you should absolutely use Bracken's painting any chance you get. Uh, I, I hear they do wonderful that. work. I hear. That. Uh, Thank you. So. Thank you. You know, I I love commenting on that.
0: Uh, first of all, thanks for the shout out of the Bracken's yeah. painting. Um, but there's that shop small mm-hmm. kind of a campaign that happens. Right. And I'm not against Amazon either, Mm because sometimes I need something that I know I'm not going to find locally, so I'll buy it online, like these little booms. I have Mm -hmm. no idea where I would buy these locally for this podcast that hold the microphones. But even if there's something that you need conveniently, quickly, Mm -hmm. you can go to Walmart and get it, Mm -hmm. because Walmart is employing Mm -hmm. a lot of our residents. Local people, exactly. So even though you shop big, or Kohl's, or the big grocery store, or the Home Depot… They're still employing people locally, it's still helping our economy mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, but shopping online, when you could get something locally and you know you can get it locally and it might be a little more expensive locally than you found on discount out of Texas or mm-hmm. out of like Arizona or somewhere that it's shipping from, it makes sense to save some yeah. money if you're going to spend it elsewhere. But at the mm-hmm. same time, supporting local, mm-hmm. shopping small, or shopping big locally is is super, super mm-hmm. important.
1: Yeah, and I and look, and you bring up a very good point. I, you know, I have friends that they'll they'll say, well, I'll, I'll never shop at Walmart. And to me, why not? I mean, I can understand if you just don't like the store, if you don't like going into Walmart because it's it's you know you know whatever. But you know, why wouldn't you? Because they're they're employing your neighbors too. They're employing your your kids when they need a job after you know after school. Uh, they're helping the community just as much as a small business. Uh, they're keeping they're paying taxes. Um, you know, and they're contributing just, you know, that Home Depot that, that Walmart is contributing just as much as a small business. Now, obviously, if you can go down the, the street to a small business and buy there, that's even better. But, yeah, I mean, if, you know, if you need to go buy toilet paper, you don't have to go, uh, you know, to your, your small business. You can go to Food Line, You can go to Walmart. I mean, but you, you bring up a very good point, especially about shopping local. It's... Let's not say shop small or shop big. Shop local versus ordering online when you yeah, can.
0: I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I always think about, you know, if I, if I buy something at Home Depot, maybe that assistant manager made a sales bonus, mm-hmm. and maybe that sales bonus allows him to go buy um, extra groceries. Exactly. And then the manager at the grocery store, he got a kick in pay because they had a great sales thing that yeah. time, and then because that manager made his bonus, mm-hmm. he can actually go hire Bracken's Painting. Exactly. And that might be the one job mm-hmm. that tips the scale for Bracken's Painting that mm-hmm. forces me to have to hire another guy or mm-hmm. buy another truck, exactly. which then puts commission into the sales guy. Mm-hmm. But then I got to hire a driver for that mm-hmm. truck and now the truck doesn't have any tools in mm-hmm. it, go right back to Home Depot, buy mm-hmm. all the ladders and paint brushes yeah. I need. So it's like, it's this ongoing It goes back local. to that
1: spider web thing we were right. talking about earlier. Everything's right. connected.
0: Right. All right, this has been a really great podcast. How can we pitch uh, some of your upcoming events or fundraisers? How does somebody find out more about Mark Everhart? Well,
1: um, first of all, uh, I'm on Facebook, social media. It's Everhart, E-V-E-R-H-A-R-T, 4-F-O-R-W-V. My website is Everhart4WV.com. I'm on Twitter, Everhart4WV.com, or Everhart4WV. Um, and you can email me. It's mark at everheartforwv.com. I'd love to hear from people. I'd love to hear your ideas. I'm happy to meet with just about anyone. Um, I do have some, some fundraisers and meet and greets planned. Uh, I don't have a primary opponent, um, but I do have friends that are running that do have primary opponents, so I'm kind of taking a step back a little bit uh, and letting them do what they need to do to win their primary, uh, and then I'll become much more active after the primary. Uh, look, my goal, uh, as I said earlier, there's 13,000 people roughly in the district, 9,000 households. My goal, between, let's say, um, end of April and election day, is to knock on every door in my district, uh, and meet as many people as possible. That's that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, you know, I have it mapped out six nights a week uh, you know all day on Saturday I'm gonna be out in the community knocking on doors uh, I'm gonna have some some meet-and-greet events and some fundraisers coming up uh, and those will be all over social media they'll be all over my my website Twitter uh, Instagram uh, and so that's where you can find me and I, I just want to hear from people I want to hear what ideas are important to you what problems you think West Virginia is facing and and I want to talk to as many people uh, as I can uh, between now and the election.
0: Well, that's great. Maybe after the primary, in a few months down the road, we'll have another podcast. Sure. So we can uh, maybe break down one or two of your platform ideas with more uh, more detail.
1: Absolutely, I'd love to come back.
0: All right, Mark. Thank you very much for being yeah. on the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia i am melissa Nott and manage both of our jefferson county locations our charlestown location is located on george street in charlestown and the ransom location is located in the potomac marketplace shopping center city national bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services we offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers city national bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ransom and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by peter clark off of his album peter clark after dark peter (laughs) peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business if you ever need hula hoop repair consider contacting peter you can reach him on soundcloud just search peter clark after dark